Welcome to Listen by Jean Ginsberg. This audio experience and podcast is all about social media, digital marketing, entrepreneurship, and interviews with top entrepreneurs in the digital and social space. I'm your host, Jean Ginsberg, digital marketing expert, number one best-selling author, and award-winning entrepreneur. I will be sharing with you strategies, tips, and tactics on how to grow your business and your social media following. Thanks for listening. This episode of Listen by Gene Ginsberg is part of the Colorado Tech Startup Series. In this series, we showcase leaders of tech companies in Colorado, everything from apps, analytics, cannabis, and software, and SaaS companies to show the amazing talent that's going on in tech companies in the state of Colorado. Please enjoy this episode. Hey everybody, Gene Ginsberg here. We have a very special guest today, Otto Hansen from Term Scout. What's up? Hey Gene, how are you? I'm doing really well. So very excited to talk to you today about Term Scout. So tell us a little bit about your company. So Term Scout is a legal technology company based out of Denver, Colorado. And uh, we help right now businesses understand contracts, primarily commercial contracts. So any time a company is buying something from another company, and they have to deal with a contract to get the deal done. We, we try to help businesses quickly make sense of what's in those contracts. Right, so what's the challenge that you're looking to solve with TermScout? Um, right now, the only way to review contracts really well, when you get a contract on a third party's paper, um, the only real way to review it is to have a human being you know, read the darn thing. Uh, there are a handful of software tools out there that can kind of help move the needle a little bit, but um, as far as we're aware, there's no complete solution. Um, to, to help you quickly understand, like, is this contract generally fair or not? And that's the problem we're solving. We want businesses to be able to quickly look at a contract and say, you know what, this contract is fine. We don't need to spend legal resources or other human resources on negotiating it or fighting it. Let's just sign it and get this deal done. Uh, we're big believers that transparency helps make business deals happen faster. And so the quicker the different parties can understand what the other is offering, the quicker we can get deals done. Right, no, that's so true. And having worked in companies um, and worked with larger companies, it's things can get stuck on attorneys' desks for weeks, sometimes even months, and then like, then you're just waiting, you know, and from the business side, you're like, I just wanna get this done, I just wanna move forward, you know, one way or the other. So I can totally understand how that's so valuable because it's like, you know, make a decision like let's move forward right or not move forward maybe this contract is not the right one for us but but just having it be in limbo for so long is like i mean it's not beneficial for running a business <laughs> not at all and what we found from talking to our customers a lot and you know from my background practicing as a as a corporate and commercial attorney is that a lot of people a lot of the negotiations that happen in contracts are pretty wasteful um, due to a lot of different reasons, a lot of information asymmetry. One of those reasons, though, is, is you have a lot of, you know, we attorneys, we humans are imperfect and our knowledge base is imperfect. And so when attorneys are negotiating, they're negotiating based on what they've seen, what they think is market in that particular provision or type of contract. And the problem is, you know, all of us are just in these little silos working in these different industries or geographies or whatever it is. So the information we have is imperfect about what's market. And I can't tell you how many times when I was working as a commercial attorney where I'd be negotiating contracts and I'd be arguing with another attorney about what's market. 
And it's just like, okay, we clearly have very different perspectives on this. And the problem was there was no single source of truth about that. There was nowhere for us to go and say, okay, in cloud agreements, what is market for confidentiality provisions or limitations of liability or, or whatever other esoteric legal provision it is um, that we lawyers uh, you know, spend our time <laughs> negotiating? So, so that's one of the answers that we're trying to bring to market is a, a true source of what really is market. Right. So you mentioned a little bit about your background. So tell us about your background and how you got started with TermScout. Yeah, so it's interesting. I um, As a commercial attorney, I did a lot of transactions, negotiations, and, and for some clients, I, I would help them draft their terms and conditions, privacy policies, all these contracts that we click through. And um, I had an experience uh, with one client uh, where you know, the client basically asked um, us to prepare some terms and conditions for them. And we went through our checklist trying to figure out, okay, what should this contract say? And at the end, we asked sort of, okay, on a scale of one to 10, how aggressive do you want us to be with this contract? And the client like jaw dropped and they looked at us like we were crazy and they were like, Otto, you know nobody reads these contracts, right? And we were like, well, yeah, I guess that's, that's true. I mean, who does read these click-through agreements, right? Um, and they said, so make it as aggressive as possible. And that was the aha moment for me where it was like, wow, you know, there's no real rational argument against that. Like the only argument against that is, hey, maybe that's not the right like ethical, moral posture that you want to have in your business. And there's some compelling business arguments there. But at the end of the day, like if no one's reading your contract, then the rational response might be to make it really aggressive. So we wanted to set out and change that dynamic and, and create a, a, an incentive for businesses to make their contracts more fair. And that's where the business started and it's taken some twists and turns and you know, where we're at today is a little different, um, but effectively we're still addressing kind of the same problem. Right, I feel like, yes, a lot of people don't read um, the terms and conditions, but at the same time, it's not how like most of these class action lawsuits come about because something happened and there was a term and condition and someone didn't read it or you know or some big company did something and then and then it just blows up into some sort of big class action lawsuit. <laughs> they do a lot of the time. Yeah, I know it's and it's it's crazy and it's it's tragic when I think when you see some company that really did pull the wool over their customers' eyes over and over and the customers come and realize that holy smokes, I can't believe we all signed that contract. The problem is, um, and I don't know if this is a problem, uh, but the, the reality we live in is we are bound by contracts that we sign whether or not we read them. Right. Um, and the law doesn't actually care whether you read them. So it's yeah. not a defense to come back and, and say, come on, Your Honor, we all know I didn't read this thing. It's like, well, you shouldn't <laughs> have signed it then. Yeah. Um, or agreed to it. Or agreed to it, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but our position is, Businesses are built on contracts, and the, our economy is thriving in large part because of the enforceability of contracts, because businesses can rely on the enforcement of them. So in our opinion, the solution isn't, you know, a lot of people are attacking this problem saying, let's regulate the contracts, let's change them, let's, let's force businesses to do this and that in their contract. My theory is, no, let businesses put whatever they want in their contracts. Let's just create a tool where customers can, you know, trans, you know, quickly understand what it is that, that, that they're being compelled to sign 
so they can make smarter, more informed decisions about which businesses they actually want to engage with. Right, absolutely. Um, so what kind of companies do you typically work with? Is it all across the board? I mean, I'm sure it sounds like everybody needs a contract or reviewed, right? Yeah, so I mean, it could be any company. Um, you know, we find uh, larger companies with large legal organizations kind of find a lot of value in this because they, they're seeing such large volumes. Right. Procurement groups, um, but really any company, any organization can be a nonprofit. You know, every everything we do, we're you know, businesses are buying things all the time, and virtually everything that we buy is governed by a contract. So, if you want to participate in the global economy, you've got to find a way to you know get smart about reviewing the contracts that we're signing over and over again. So, really, we we can work with anybody. You know, the beauty of our business model and the the solution that we've developed is that we can review contracts for businesses at $99 a pop. And for $99, we can, we can provide a tremendous amount of insight into that contract. Not only what does it say, you know, what does it mean, um, but also is it market? You know, we've looked at 10 cloud agreements. So when we look at Microsoft Azure's contract, we're not just telling you that it says this, you know, has these provisions, but we also tell you, here's how that stacks up against the other cloud providers. And that's some insight that, that no other company has. Yeah, so you're gathering data along along with just beyond just reviewing the contract itself, but you're also gathering data for that specific industry, right? Yeah, that's, exactly. That's kind, of, that's kind of cool. So what would you say is the biggest challenge in your industry now? Um, oh, boy, there are so many. Um, <laughs> okay. You're like, using the old <laughs> archaic system is definitely a challenge. Well, well that is the biggest one. Look for all legal tech companies, like we're, we're here trying to disrupt a, a very um, relatively stable space. We have a lot of lawyers who are doing things the old school way. Right. And and it works, right? Except that it's- Well, really, it works for them because they're getting 500 bucks an hour, right? Right, right, exactly. It works for them. They're, you know, they're doing very well. And, and sadly, a, a lot of clients aren't demanding from their lawyers, you know, that they be very, you know, aggressive or progressive in terms of finding more cost-effective solutions. Because it's hard, like a lawyer, lawyers are inherently distrustful, you know, we're trained to identify risks and things. So when a legal tech company shows up on a lawyer's doorstep and says, we can do this, you know, we can help you do this more efficiently, their immediate reaction is, yeah, but can you do it as good as me? Like, I know the way I'm doing it works, and yes, maybe it costs more, but like, I know I'm comfortable with the risk and the function, and. So it's a big hurdle to get over to convince lawyers to adopt legal technology. But I think that's changing. I think we're on the cusp of a tipping point where we're seeing more and more in-house legal departments adopt more technologies more aggressively. And as that happens, I think we're going to see more and more law firms, in particular big firms, be more aggressive about it. We are seeing some of that now. This podcast is brought to you by the Digital Marketing Method Monthly Group Coaching Program, your methodology for growing your business and your social media following. Join me and my group of supportive entrepreneurs and learn how you can grow your business and your social media following, where we cover topics such as Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, email marketing, and so much more. Go to dmgroup.online, dmgroup.online. Online. So what is their incentive to change really? It has to be client driven. You know, it has to come from the client, whoever, whether it's the business who's hiring the in-house department or the business that's hiring the outside counsel, like the business owners have to get smart and have to stand up and say, look, I don't want you reading 
you know, that 30 page AWS agreement that by the way, I know a hundred thousand other businesses have already read because that's how many customers they signed up this year. Like that's the definition of inefficient process. Let's get smarter about this. There's gotta be a better, better way. Please go try technological, you know, legal tech tools and figure out which ones you can incorporate into your workflows. And, you know, when I worked in a law firm, we had some clients that kind of asked that, but by and large, you're not getting a lot of clients that are really pushing that very hard. So what do you think is the long-term then ramifications of this? Do you feel like this is going to be like, you know, the disruption, the disruption that you're creating and other similar companies that you know, are out there in the space, like what's going to happen to the legal profession in the next five, 10, 20 years? <laughs> well, I think it's going to change dramatically. Um, and I think as you get more and more companies that do get more aggressive and more serious about pursuing these technologies, you're going to see, I think what you're going to see is more lawyers doing more interesting stuff. And that's what's, what to me is actually exciting about legal technology is it, it's not, it's, what legal tech can do is the mundane. It's not good at the really high value stuff that takes just human wisdom and judgment, right? So, it, you know, that part is the domain of humans. The domain of machines is the highly repetitive mundane stuff that frankly, none of us went to law school to do. So yeah, I mean, contracts, I mean, that just seems like that's a very tough job. <laughs> it can <laughs> Reviewing pretty, contracts day in and day out. It can be pretty boring. Yeah, um, I would imagine. Uh, you know, um, but we hire people who love it. And, um, and if, if anyone in the audience here um, happens to be one of the one of those rare breeds who just loves getting into the nitty gritty of contracts, you should contact us and consider coming and joining our team because we do a lot of it. Um, but, but that's the real answer is, you know, I think legal tech is going to free lawyers up to do more interesting, more creative, more high value add stuff. And um, lawyers who embrace that, I think, are going to live happier, more fulfilled lives. That's probably true. I mean, that's really what tech is doing in, in general, right? Not just in the legal space, but across the board, right? Instead of like having these repetitive tasks that we do all the time, now we can outsource it to a some sort of tech play, you know, and then you know, we can do some more interesting things with our lives, right? Than like, exactly. you know, sending out emails all the time or, you know, doing a very repetitive task. So I can totally understand that. Yeah, more, more interesting stuff, right, to come for our attorneys yep. <laughs> versus just review contracts. Um, so what are some new initiatives or projects that you guys are working on in terms um, right now we're overhauling our product um, to, to get smarter about the data that we track. Now I mentioned earlier sort of how important we think it is to be able to understand what is and isn't market in different industries and that's you know one of the key components of being able to understand whether or not you're getting a fair deal. And so our you know original product was a lot of unstructured data that we were tracking and, um, and it's not particularly good for training machine learning algorithms or a lot of stuff. It's, this is maybe not the most interesting piece, but for our business, it's really exciting. Like we're getting much smarter and more sophisticated about the way we track data so that the, the upshot for our customers is that they can get much more granular data about whatever it is they're looking for and whether it's market in this industry or in this geography. Um, that's on the product side. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's always, of course, when you kind of get into the weeds of the company, it's like, maybe that's not interesting, but then how does that affect the customer? Right. So yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Um, and then uh, the last couple of questions are usually I ask about tools. Um, and so what is one tool that you use that's critical in your business? And that could be actually that your team uses or that you specifically use. 
I mean, like, what, what drives your business? What's one tool? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it could be anything as simple as a Calendly or a project management tool or a Zoom. <laughs> well, all those are the ones that came to mind to me. Um, but I, pres I, 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 I assume that those are the ones that come up all the time. I mean, our businesses run really, run really on, you know, we use Trello for project management. Awesome. You know, I've seen some other ones, and I don't know really the difference, but it's great for us. Like it helps us just stay on task and run, a, you know, good um, lean organization and, and manage sprints accordingly and make sure that we know who's doing what when. Um, super useful. Uh, we love Slack. You know, it's just a great instant messaging platform, and we you know get a lot of other value out of it and built some apps into it that are really valuable for us. Um, you know, we have a document uh, alerts program that notifies us when online documents change and it pings us in our Slack channel whenever something that we're monitoring changes. So it's super useful. It's right there in our every minute workflow. Um, That's great. Yeah. I mean, those are some good tools. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, those notifications, those are great. Like, cause I mean, you're not always monitoring those, um, those forms or those, um, those report or those documents. Right. So, having like a ping through Slack that tells you that something has changed, right? Yeah. Big, big benefit. Um, and then the last question is, what is your prediction for the industry? And that could mean anything that you want. It could be prediction for your industry. It could be self-driving cars, settlement on Mars. I mean, anything and everything. I, I, I kind of leave it as an open-ended question. <laughs> Uh, okay. Well, I'll take self-driving cars because sure. I'm, uh, it's such a fascinating one. And right. And this is probably and that for me because I'm, I'm no expert on the topic. Sure. I'm saying it doesn't have to be self-driving cars. I'm just like kind of giving out examples. It could be like your ter your industry specifically, you know, tech, legal tech, or it could be self-driving cars. <laughs> Let's talk about self-driving cars right. for a minute. Um, and, uh, and we can ski out over our tips as right. to say in Colorado. Um, look, I haven't had a car um, since 2013. Okay. Um, and I'm, I'm a big believer in the micro mobility revolution that's taken over in particular Denver where I live primarily. Um, and you know, I take advantage of the scooters that are everywhere and the B cycle program actually just shut down sadly. Um, Uber Lyft. Oh, I didn't know buses. bicycle shut down. Yeah. Oh. January 31st. Oh, that's sad. I think something happened with the city funding, which is a real oh, that was okay. my favorite of, of the solution. The, um, the car share company also got uh, removed out of Denver. Well, a car to go. Oh, no, it's gone too. Yeah, and I think they're actually out of the whole North America now. Oh my gosh. Yeah, the Denver thing happened last year, I want to say maybe about mid-2019, and I think I just got a, a notification saying that car to go is no longer in the North Americas. Wow. So what happened to all those Mercedes Benzes? Maybe I, I should get a new car. Maybe. Uh, maybe so, <laughs> so how do you get around, um, like how did you go from Denver to Boulder? Uh, the FF2. The, the bus. The bus. How do you get to the mountains? My wife has a car. Okay. So yeah. you do have a car in the family. We have a car in the family. Okay. She, she uses it during the week. So yeah. Um, and no, it's super helpful to have uh, on the weekends. But so here's my prediction on, on, on cars. I'm so excited about self-driving cars. And I think that is going to be like the single most impactful innovation for the environment. Um, because as self-driving cars get better and better, I think people are going to start sharing cars more and we'll have fewer cars on the road because you and I can into a, into a car share agreement where like it can sit at your house, but when I need it, it can drive itself to kind of pick me up right. and then I can use it and like we can work that out and share right. a car. And if everybody does that, we just eliminated 50% of the cars 
And by the way, we can get rid of all those hideous parking lots that are right. ruining our cities everywhere because if cars are just constantly being shared among city dwellers and moving back and forth and like you just finished it and instead of going and sitting in a parking lot idle for the next three days it's moving the whole time moving other people um that's maximum maximum efficiency and uh we could hopefully get rid of all these parking lots i'm really excited about that. right so i think the prediction is a this is my take on things yeah okay now i'm gonna neither we're both you're not over our <laughs> um, I, I, maybe you're an expert I, i'm not an expert but this is where i think things are gonna go um, I don't think that it's going to be like, I have a car and you get to share it. I think that cars are going to be owned by like an Uber uh -huh. and then they will be then shared. So Uber owns the car That's probably more and then safe. you, you can get it. I can get it. You know, Bob can get it and whatever, but it's like uh, people eventually will probably stop owning like regular cars. Maybe they'll own like, you know. 1964 you know chevy corvettes and like some sort of like specialized antique cars but i think regular cars are good and i think Even the better. parking lots are not going to go away because that's probably where they're going to be stored yeah well, so you still need some you not, might not need like you know a, a garage on every block in downtown Baltimore. right you know? yes um, um that's probably poor city planning <laughs> but no it's right for where we are right now in the car culture where almost every right. where every family has at least one car right. and most of them have a car for a home. Um, so. so that's where I think that's my prediction. It's going to be less about owning cars in the future. It. I love it too because then I don't have right. to worry about owning a car. I don't have to worry about paying insurance. I'm just going to pay, you know, Uber, whoever is the next conglomerate that's going to be like managing that whole piece. And yeah, I mean, I think 98% of the time a car is sitting idle in, in a garage or in a parking lot or in a parking spot. So it's like, it's just so wasteful. Oh. Um, and, you know, we all need cars, but then we don't use them nearly enough. So it's like, such a, you know, such a wasteful concept. So I think this is going to, yeah, tighten everything up so much more in the future that um, it's going to be yeah, less cars on the road and more like better for the environment, um, less traffic. I mean, ideally, these are all the things that I'm envisioning. <laughs> I'm with you 100. Yeah. It's like it's so exciting for me. Um, I probably shouldn't share this, but Denver recently voted on whether or not to invest more in fixing the roads, and I voted no just because I was like, "Wait, we don't need to fix these roads, man. <laughs> we just need to get more cars off of them." So <laughs> a lot of people were really upset about the result because I mean, it didn't pass. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. I mean, I still, I still think that we, we're we're definitely going in that direction. I think it's still a little premature. Uh, I think, probably you know, right yeah i mean i i would like i agree i would love self-driving cars i actually don't want to own a car um so i totally agree with them but i think from a you know from a logistical standpoint it's probably a little premature too so we still need cars and we still need you know roadways to drive them on um so Absolutely. yeah um how can people get in touch with you in term scout um, so, uh, TermScout, you can email info at TermScout.com or just check us out at TermScout.com. Um, you could follow me on Twitter at Otto underscore Hansen. Um, find me on LinkedIn, email me, Otto at TermScout.com. Love to have connections, conversations, and especially if anything we said resonated with you or you want to talk legal tech. Um, or if you want to school me on self-driving cars, that's that's interesting too. So. Maybe maybe the, the person who's going to email you is going to have a completely different concept of what self-driving cars are. You had one concept, I had another. Yeah. Maybe they're going to be like it's going to be completely different. I'm open to that. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much, Otto Hansen from Term Scout. Thanks so much for being here. Um, really excited to hear about how Term Scout's going to 
go down that path of you know legal technology and you know how that's all gonna like end up i mean it's just gonna change really the, the legal industry so i'm very curious to see that coming up in the next few years thank you gene and thanks for having me